Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Matt Shapiro. As Rabbi Schatz mentioned, see, we were so in sync, Rabbi Schatz, that you mentioned at the beginning of the Torah service something that I was going to lead off with. So that's how in sync we are. Um, uh, Rabbi Dean Steinsaltz passed away earlier this week, who really, um, his, his, his wisdom and, and really his genius, I don't know that it can be, um, fully captured in brief, but really one of the more prolific and visionary and really, uh, impactful teachers of Torah in the past century, if not in the past few centuries, his, his endeavor to basically translate the Talmud from Aramaic to Hebrew in and of itself a monumental, not altogether uncontroversial and, and hugely important task, um, along with being, uh, an amazing teacher of Torah and a prolific author on his own and, and really just an incredible teacher. Um, I heard him teach once he was making a trip through the U.S., um, and he spoke uh, at, at VBS all the way on the other side of the hill at Valley Beth Shalom, and I went to go hear him speak along with Sarah and some other classmates of mine at the time. Um, and I remember some of what he said, and there's one image in particular that he shared that lingered with me then and that I still remember him talking about very clearly now. He was talking about his understanding, really, of what the textual civilization of Judaism is. And he shared this beautiful image that it's one giant, like, table in a Beit Midrash. It's one enormous table that all of these sages and prophets and teachers all through the centuries are sitting around and having one big conversation with each other. And if you can picture a page of Talmud with the text in the middle and the commentaries and the super commentaries, right, and you just sort of take that, you make it horizontal, right, that there's this massive table with all these teachers gathering around it, having an ongoing conversation together. And just as sages from centuries ago were a part of it, so too are we a part of it, and we all gather around to have that conversation together. So this this really beautiful image of keeping that dialogue going. And Sarah reminded me of another point that he made on top of that, which is how the language that we use to talk about what is said, the language in the Talmud, it wasn't hu haya omer or hem hayu omrin, that he would say or they would say in the past tense, but that oftentimes the language of yesh omrim is used. Right, that there are those who say that it's in the present tense, that it's not just something that was said, it's something that is said and is still being said to reflect this sense that the conversation, that the dialogue is ongoing. And so in this current moment that we're in, bringing all those voices together, bringing all the voices of our tradition into the proverbial room certainly seems vital as we figure out how to navigate and move through this really challenging time in addition to it, it being just a nice sort of reassuring sense that we're, we're still in dialogue with all those who have come before, who can provide us with support in some way as we're moving uh, through a fraught moment, to sort of marshal that wisdom to say, okay, well, well, how do we move forward? How do we respond? What's, what's a paradigm that we can utilize? What's a way of thinking that our tradition offers to figure out 
um, how to go forward from here. There, there is no doubt to me at least that there is bold action needed in some kind of way to reckon with what's happening in our world right now. And how do we draw from the rich tapestry of our tradition? What are the teachings? What's the framework that we can find uh, as we stay in the conversation across the table to figure out how to do that? As we're moving through the book of Dvarim, through Deuteronomy, as Moses is continuing to retell um, what has happened over the course of the exodus from Egypt up until this point, just on the other side of the Jordan from uh, the land of Israel, in the parsha this week, he recounts that that moment when he came down from the mountain and the people were worshiping the golden calf. And uh, he took the tablets, he held them over his head, and he threw them down. And he, and he shattered them upon seeing what was happening. And the phrase used, it was a phrase used back in Shemot, back in the book of Exodus in chapter 34, and in the parsha this week, um, to describe what happened, that uh, when God goes to uh, create the second set of tablets, and he's describing what had happened, he's going to inscribe uh, the words that they're going to write, the words that were al-haluchot harishonim asher shibarta, that they were on the first set of tablets that, that you broke. There's a very interesting midrash that appears not once but twice in the Talmud that recapitulates completely what happened in that moment. It seems to be a pretty straightforward sense that, yeah, there were tablets, you took them, you broke them. The end. There doesn't seem to be much need for further exploration there. But what the Talmud says is that this is actually a praiseworthy thing that Moses did. And the Talmud says, or it's Reish Lakish actually, he would say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Amar LeMoshe, Amar Le HaKadosh Baruch Hu LeMoshe, Yasher Koach She Shibarta. Yasher Koach. This is the origin of the phrase that you hear when you come up to the Torah and you take an aliyah or you read from the Torah or you lift the Torah, ironically enough. May, may your strength uh, be true. May, may your strength remain straight. May you, may you be strong as you continue forward. That God says to Moses, good job. Good job that you did what you did, that you were strong in taking those tablets over your head and shattering them. Which seems to be completely counterintuitive when you think about, think about what happens in our community when someone lifts the Torah and they waver just for a moment, right? Because what happens if the, if the Torah falls on the ground? We fast, we fast for 40 days reminiscent of when Moses went back up to the mountain after the people worshiped the golden calf, right? There, there are few things, if anything, more traumatizing in a current, right, current, there's nobody here right now, but in a typical moment when we're having services, if somebody's going to drop Sefer Torah, oh my God, that's the worst thing that could happen in the middle of services in a normative week, right? And now God is saying to Moses, Yasher Koach, good job that you did that. How, how could that be? It seems to be completely ironic and counterintuitive. But yet he's saying, great job for taking something so holy and shattering it. There's a couple of different ways of understanding what's actually happening there, that you've done, in fact, the right thing in storing that strength, showing that strength and courage to shatter those tablets. And first, to ask the question of, well, what, where is Moses coming from on that? What, what was his thinking? Why did he make that choice? 
So yesh omrim, right? There are those who said and still say that this is actually a decision that Moses made himself, that Moshe made this choice. And where this appears in the Talmud, both place that, places that this appears in the Talmud, the sense of yashar koch she shibarta, it's listed in uh, three different things, a list of three different things that Moshe did, mida'ato, that he made the choice himself to do from his own understanding that God actually agreed with. The first was that he separated from his wife uh, before uh, going up to Har Sinai to receive Torah. The second was that he added an extra day of separation uh, for the people before they came close to the mountain um, for Matan Torah, for receiving Torah. And this is the third. This is the third thing that Moshe did that he took upon himself. He said, this is something that needs to happen in order... Um, for these sort of boundaries between uh, what's happening around the construct of revelation. And in time, God agrees with him, right? God agrees, he's schema da'atel, right? Eventually, uh, eventually God, yes, agrees with Moshe's choice. But this was something that Moses said, I see what's happening with this golden calf. These tablets that contain the covenant between God and the people of Israel... Should not be. That's no longer a relationship that, that can work in this current moment, and there needs to be an additional boundary set before we can move forward. So that's one way of thinking about it. Another way of thinking about it is that it wasn't actually Moses by himself, but that it was Moses in partnership with God in that moment. And then Nitziv, Rav Yehuda Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, 19th century scholar, says that God actually helped Moshe in breaking the tablets, that earlier on in the parashah, in chapter 9, verse 17, in terms of talking about how Moses, his hands were already full. So how do you like, if your hands are full, how do you take something and shatter it? Shattered them that Moses actually needed God's help to do so. So this wasn't just something that Moshe made a decision in and of himself to do. God assisted Moshe in that moment to take the tablets and shatter them. So there was actually a partnership between God and man in saying this is something that needs to be broken before we can move forward. And since this is the rich table that we sit around, both of those opinions can work, right? We can say that, yes, Maybe we are thinking about this, that Moshe took this action by himself and God eventually agreed with him. And maybe it's that God and Moshe were in partnership in doing that. But either way, there's this sense that this moment of fraught relationship, this moment really of crisis, when something was happening that shouldn't have been happening, something was happening where we're left with this question of how do we move forward from here, something seemingly counterintuitive and drastic, and dramatic, and maybe even heretical was done, and in the end, it needed to be done. It's also, to me, telling that those broken tablets continue to be holy. We also learned that over time, after those tablets were broken, after the second set of tablets were written and passed along, that as the people of Israel wandered through the desert, both the broken tablets and the whole tablets were carried together in the Ark of the Covenant. And extrapolating that metaphor out, I think it's poignant and beautiful that when there's been that moment of breaking, that we continue to carry the shards, the the remnants of that moment with us, that that moment itself remains vital and even holy. And we carry that along with us, even with the 
whole covenant, that still whole covenant, that both of those are vital in terms of maintaining uh, and carrying that relationship forward. I'll push it one step further. For those of you who who this metaphor sort of uh, is is an easy one for you to access, there's the the Kabbalistic story of creation with Shvirat Hakelim that God tried to pour God's essence into these ten vessels, and it was too much for those vessels to hold, and they shattered, and they exploded. And that was actually, that breaking was in fact in and of itself the moment of creation that made all of the world around us possible. But that breaking was necessary in order for the world to move into the world that currently is. If you want to go over one step to a, a side note, you can think about even the breaking of the glass at a wedding in some kind of way, not destruction but creation. That's a whole nother thing. But I'll, I'll hop over here if you'll forgive me one more midrashic uh, liberty, um, just as the rabbis flipped the asher into yasher koach. They took asher shibarta into yashar koach. Um, maybe... Just maybe the Aleph that was in front of Asher that becomes Yasher Koach moves into the middle of Shibarta to Shebarata. Then maybe we can think about that this was in fact a moment of not destruction alone, but actually creation. That in that moment, a new kind of relationship was created where Moshe is empowered to take matters into his own hands or, and or there's that new moment of partnership between God and Moshe to figure out how to move through that moment of crisis and challenge into something new. However we think about that, again, utilizing this construct of the table that we're sitting around, that voice... The voice from that moment continues to echo and continues to linger and continues to offer us something to learn from in terms of how to move forward. We have experience as a people with how to respond when our paradigm is being challenged. We just observed Tisha B'Av, and one of the most seismic shifts in all of Jewish history occurred after the destruction of the Second Temple when we no longer had a central physical place to offer sacrifices, and there was the brilliant and revolutionary and completely counterintuitive decision to take the oral Torah and start writing it down. It's called the Torah Shebe'el Peh. What do you mean you're going to make it something that's written? It's like, well, that's actually something that needs to happen in order to survive, in order to move forward, in order to find a way out of crisis and through crisis and into something new. And there are moments like this across our tradition, that one of the ways that we as a people continue to move forward is by seeing a historical moment that challenges us, maybe even threatens us, and forces us to ask difficult questions about who we are and how we are as Jews and as people. And we say, even if this takes a shattering, even if this takes an ironic inversion of the model that seems to be core and essential to who we are, we are going to make that bold choice and do what needs to be done so that we can address this challenge in the way that we know will get us through it. And we ask that question, like Moshe asked, what are the boundaries that need to be established or reestablished to get us through that moment of challenge? And we ask the question, where do we find and need strength from within or from a power greater than ourselves? in order to shatter what might have become burdensome in response to the world around us. But either way, 
that model, it's not a bug, right? It's not a hiccup. It's a, oh, just one moment of shattering and oops, we're moving on. No, it's a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature that our tradition has that voice in the mix saying sometimes there needs to be a breaking in order to get to a moment of creation to move through a moment that seems to offer no possible path forward. And so that's a question we need to be asking right now, I think. And that's a difficult question. Is there something that we need to shatter in order to have a moment of creation? It's an important question, and it's not an easy question. And it might even be an overwhelming question. And this is an overwhelming moment because so much remains unknown. But I'll bring this back to the wisdom of Rav Steinsaltz. There's a quote of his. I, I hadn't heard it before, but I saw it as I was reading about his life this past week. And this is something that he said in reflecting on the project that Rabbi Schatz mentioned a little while ago in terms of, of starting to translate the Talmud when he was just 27. And in reflecting on that project, he said sometimes, right, because he said, if I had known then what I know now, how mammoth and challenging this project would be, I might not have taken it on. And he said, sometimes when a person knows too much, it causes him to do nothing. It seems it's better sometimes for man as for humanity not to know too much about the difficulties and to believe more in the possibilities. There's no doubt that difficulties lie ahead, and maybe we can still find a way, maybe just maybe, to look at our history and to look at the model and the wisdom that it offers in that shattering of the tablets to offer us some way of believing in the possibilities that might yet still unfold, even if it seems like it's a moment of shattering, that possibilities still lie ahead. So Yashikoach to all of us for making it this far. May we continue to be strong. And Yashikoach to all of us for what lies ahead, for that our strength may be true, and that if a moment calls upon us where a shattering and a shifting is necessitated by the challenge that we're facing, that we find a way to navigate it and to do what needs to be done with strength and with grace and with holiness. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.